Welcome to a, another great episode of Sports Matters. We got a full house today. We also have a full hour. We're excited to have an hour show. And sitting across from me is my partner, Matt Bird. How's it going? Yeah, uh, you Doing know, good. <laughs> looking good. It's Mike, early. check. I know we had Tom. He just peeked in there, like, oh no, is Mike three? You know, broken. <laughs> we just fixed Mike three in Studio B. And then also we have a good friend of mine and a very special guest in studio today, uh, Mr. Anton Lee. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Irvine. <laughs> I know. I, I had to get. I got him up early. He still has to work another eight-hour shift today. So, uh, do you get any overtime for that? Yeah. I guess I do. Well, that's always the good news. I love overtime. <laughs> I know. It's it's a little early for him, but uh, the reason why we got Anton on today was uh, the U.S. Open concluded over the weekend, and it, and it concluded the fourth major of the tennis season, and he's pretty much our Sports Matters tennis expert. Well, I couldn't believe that there's clay underneath that surface, because uh, Rafael Nadal won. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I love it. I love it. And we're getting off to a good start this morning, that's for certain. Tony, so I no, you played. I played juniors and I played in high school and I played a little bit for Orange Coast College when I did that. But I did mostly uh, watch all regional tournaments when I was younger. Yeah, what was that like? Uh, it was long grind. You kind of sign up for the tournaments, you go there, you spend a lot of time waiting around, waiting for your next match. But it was a uh, made for tough week- weekends. You'd play like three matches a day uh, throughout the weekend to play a whole entire tournament. Which wow. the pros get to do in a week or like in the Grand Slams, two weeks. So what kind of fatigue do you get after playing? I, I imagine like playing tennis for like a long time. I play tennis for one set and I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because when you do it all the time, you don't notice the fatigue as much. Only when you get a little bit older or you're a little <laughs> out of shape and you start feeling, oh my God, this is actually a hard game to play. <laughs> I agree. I, I think it's actually, like you were saying, it's just the most physically demanding and use muscles that you don't even think about using. And you look at it, do you ever see any overweight tennis players? No. No. I mean, they're lean, very, very healthy and great shape. And you look at Anton Nally, he's in great shape still playing tennis. Well, when you look at it, uh, you got to understand uh, most of them, minimum match is going to last you just under two hours and that's if you're doing really well but uh average male match especially in grand slam is probably about three and a half hours long what other sport do you, can you name besides golf where you're playing for that amount of time and you have like 60 seconds between uh changeovers uh for you to actually get any rest so I was thinking about when you were talking about that, the Wimbledon match uh, a couple of years back where it went, they had to stop it because it was that night um, and the lights turned off. It went over a day. Like they kept playing tennis for over a day or something like that. Uh, that was uh, crazy. It was, uh, yeah, I, I forget what who it was by, but it was like, a, it was a few years ago, but. It was about, uh, they were actually talking about it, this Wimbledon. It was like the 15 year anniversary. They put a plaque on the court. It was uh, John Hizzer, David Mahout, did a three-day match three it days to 16 hours by the time they were oh uh, done oh, <laughs> wow that's uh, two full full working shifts that's so impressive playing high impact tennis well not impact but playing high fatigue tennis <laughs> uh, by the end of the match they uh it came to the conclusion they played the equivalent of like two or three two and a half full matches <laughs> wow I can't even think about that. I would sleep in the next week. I miss everything. Now, you know, uh, he went to high school with Tony Gonzalez. Oh, really? Yeah. The old tight end. I like him. He seems like a good dude. That and Tito Ortiz. Uh, Oh, the went to high school with him, too. Nice. So you got some athletes. You got the UFC fighter, a football player, and we got a tennis player. We have our (laughs) tennis expert. You know, and kind of round up the U.S. Open, it's... uh, well, this year in general, uh, you think about it, you have history was kind of made this 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 year. Roger Federer, who took the rest of the year off last year to get himself healthy, wins two majors this year. Rafael Nadal wins two majors. They're both in their 30s, and they're the second and third uh, players, men's players, to do that, You know, being over 30 to win two majors in one year. That's pretty impressive. Fact of the day right there. <laughs> That is really that impressive. That is very impressive. Yeah. I hope I'm that mobile when I'm 30. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You just keep playing basketball. You'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know how much basketball I got left in me. 
but I'd love to continue playing. I some of the the old guys that where I work, there's there's people in their like seventies with like two knee braces that are still playing. And I'm like, I hope I'm that guy, but I can make three pointers and just like just be a good shooter. Like that's what I dream about at night. I'm like. Mm, I really wish I was a good shooter when I'm 70. You know, getting over to the Women's U.S. Open, obviously I was rooting for uh, Maria Sharapova. Her first major, she actually got to play in because I know Wimbledon didn't allow her to play even though she was eligible. I guess, why is that? Actually, it wasn't that she wasn't allowed to play. Uh, In tennis, uh, if your ranking's not high high enough, you have to get a wild card. uh, Oh, I see. To permit you to go into qualifiers so you can qualify for the tournament. Uh, because she was gone for two and a half years, she basically had zero ranking. So, and because of the reason why she was removed, she didn't get an injury uh, wild card. She actually had to earn some points. But Wimbledon, she wasn't uh, banned from. She took that off for injury. It was the French Open that they didn't want to give her a wild card. Oh, I see. Okay, it was the French Open. I, I knew it was one of those tournaments. Mm-hmm. But I was rooting for her, and unfortunately, uh, didn't work out. Third round, she was gone. So, well, how about unranked Stevens winning the whole thing? I know that's pretty amazing. Yeah, she was thrilled when she got that three million dollar paycheck. Yeah, I can only imagine what that'd be like. She's the first American to win the U.S. Open, other than a name of Williams' sister, since 1998 when Lindsay Davenport won. The U.S. Open. She's from around here. Did you know that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Lindsay a, Davenport. Yeah, O.C. Right. <laughs> Stay strong. Team Absolutely. O.C. Oh, that's why I was rooting for Coco when Sharapova got uh, knocked out. Coco's from Newport Beach for, uh, also. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she did. She made it to the quarterfinals, but uh, kind of, well, she took out Pliskova, who was the number one seed, I believe. And then she lost to Madison Keys in the semis. Because so, I, I really thought that Vandaway had a chance. You know, I thought, oh, wow, she just made it to the semifinals. And then, you know, you pretty much had all, it was pretty much an all-American U.S. Open Final Four for the women's. Well, that's the way it should be. America. <laughs> <laughs> America. At least the George W. some good uh, uh, U.S. players. Unfortunately, the men don't uh, have the same uh, luxury. <laughs> Well, no. Who's the top American tennis player right now? Uh, Jack Sock. Or it might be Sam Querrey right now because of his performance at the U.S. Open. Well, you know, I, the, the American tennis player that comes to mind is Andy Roddick for me. That's it. <laughs> that shows you the knowledge of American well, tennis I got. Well, that was the last uh, real competitor. The, the ones we have, yeah, we have Jack Sock, who's, uh, I think, 12 in the world. 14 in the world, something uh, somewhere around there. Uh, but uh, outside of that, everyone's just in their 20s and not really a Grand Slam competing uh, player. Definitely not on the level, you know, of the Andre Agassiz and the Pete Sampras, you know, what they have done and, you know, their careers. Well, for the longest time, we had great eras. We had the John McEnroe days. We had um, Jimmy Connors. Then we oh, went yes. into uh, great times in the 90s where it was the Agassi, Sampras, Michael Chang, Jim Courier, all at the same time. Then there was nothing. And then we have the big four now, you know, with Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Andy Murray. It's amazing. You know, there's one stat I want to kind of point out with Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Pete Sampras, Novak Djokovic, and Andre Agassi all have in common. They've won a major in every, I mean, they've won all four majors, not like in a row, but they've won every major. They won the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, French Open, Australian Open. Uh, yeah, the, that's pretty amazing because you think about it, it's four different surfaces. It's just incredible. Where you getting all these tennis facts? I had to do my homework. You know, we got the <laughs> tennis expert in here, so I got to make sure I got to, you know, you're know what I'm talking about here. You're adequately prepared. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's called the career slam. And Agassi was probably one of the first people since uh, Ken Roswell in the 50s to actually have uh, done all four. Yeah. And, um, and the woman's side, Steffi Graf, uh, Agassi's uh, wife, actually uh, completed a Golden Slam um, in a career year. In 1989, she won all four in a row in the same year. And also the uh, gold at the Olympics. So that's always a nice stat to have. 
Yeah, that is. I, I mean, that's just on top of everything else. So you got the, not only the four majors, but then, or the, like you say, the career slam and then the, the Olympics. Uh, she actually had the Grand Slam in the same calendar year. Really? And got the gold medal? Yeah. That's impressive. That is really impressive. Yeah, 89 was her year. Now, now, Rafael Nadal had made a, a comment. I want to hear you know, what your thoughts are, but he was saying once this era of tennis, when these guys have you know moved on, like Roger Federer, and you know mainly he was speaking of Roger Federer. He's just you know just really blown away by his performance at his age, and saying that you know once Federer and Nadal retire, that there won't be there won't be this domination like there is right now with the big four. No, there's nothing coming up uh, right now. Nobody really showing signs that they're going to take over the spot. Which is going to make it actually exciting. Unfortunately, with the big four, it's wonderful seeing such great tennis, but uh, it gets kind of boring when you know one of those four are going to win. Uh, take, for instance, this year. Uh, Federer won two, Nadal won two. And it's been that way. I think uh, in the past 16 years, probably about four or five uh, players outside of the big four have actually won a Grand Slam. And that's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll definitely be more balanced, I guess, the field wide open. Because you think about it, you look on the women's side, Serena won the Australia Open, and then she goes on a, a maternity leave to have a child. And then we have three different winners for the other uh, tournaments, which is, I guess it's good to see that. Definitely, there's, it's more competition. Anybody can win it. Well, it's kind of expected. I mean, Serena Williams is the, you know, the world class. Right. She's like, there's no one that touches her in terms of women's tennis in her prestige right now currently. So you're going to see a lot of new winners when she's not there. Oh, yeah, that's what opened it up. Uh, when I feel that um, Halep was uh, pushing for Sharapova to be uh, permanently banned uh, in a way just so that big competition oh, was let gone for a while but yeah right now with serena gone which you'll see her for a couple more years she's uh, she's up there in years so she's close to retirement at this point she just had a kid too yeah yeah i don't know how much tennis she wants to still play but uh, i'm curious to get your thoughts on the whole maria sharapova thing what what do you think about that do you think she should have been suspended for a longer period of time or i honestly don't even think she should have been uh suspended she should have been retested come on uh you th- uh, you bury a new drug into the uh, books you go okay let's test them out and go well we think there's a performance enhancing uh thing about this drug but she was uh, on it for several years. Uh, it's prescribed in uh, Eastern Europe uh, as a heart medication. And you're the, uh, uh, the drug testing that said, no, we're, the, we're just going to ban it this year. And by the way, it uh, goes in effect in January. And instead of giving you a full month, month and a half to uh, uh, clear from your system, we're testing you in the first 20 days of the month. Yeah. I, well, part of me thinks, you know, that that has a little bit to do with it. But part of me thinks is she's Russian, correct? Am I yeah. right in that? So I'm thinking, you know, with all this doping allegations that Russia has gotten over the past, that they kind of just used her as a little bit of a scapegoat. Um, they didn't, I mean, they just kind of assumed because all these other athletes and their their main uh, manufacturing drug lab uh, got shut down by WADA. So I just think that she kind of got roped into it. Um, and I, I think you're you're right by saying that she just should have gotten retested, but I think she got lumped into everyone else that was going on there. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it's one of those things where uh, she just took the fall. Uh, honestly, there was always a little bit of talk in um, tennis about uh, doping and stuff like that because it seems so clean cut and there's barely anyone ever being nailed for anything. And they've always kept it internal. Like there was rumors of uh, Rafael Nadal being on steroids probably um, five, six years ago where he had unexpected uh, injury that put him out for six uh, six months, a quiet uh, suspension. But And he uh, dropped in rankings too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you have a calendar year to uh, maintain your points. If you miss a tournament that you won the year before, you lose the points for that tournament. So it's quick to lose your ranking if you're out for a couple months. Take, for instance, Sloane Stevens. Uh, uh, she was not in rank. She was just uh, unseated. But uh, the reason why she was unseated was she had a wrist injury out last year uh, around the U.S. Open, and she was out for uh, four or five months. And then when she came back, her the performance wasn't that high. 
so she wasn't uh, getting high enough in the rankings to get a seating pos uh, position. And then look what she did. She went on and, went, and when she got healthy, she won the major. She looked good. She looked really good. Yeah, you know, three million maybe, dollars looks good too. Three point eight million. Three point eight. I'm sorry. Hey, just to get to the final, just to get to the final, you still get one point seven mil. I, I picked the wrong sport. <laughs> well, you know, you just got to get a little better with golf. You know, I mean, those guys get paid pretty well yeah, too when they well, win. I'm so far off that. I'm so far <laughs> off any of those PGA Tour people. Oh my God, they're so good. But uh, speaking of the PGA Tour, we got a little bit of a. a close match going on in the FedEx Cup points between Justin Thomas, who's had a late surge, and Jordan Spieth, which those two are best friends. So it'll be interesting to see if any sort of competition affects their friendship. <laughs> no, no, just it'll, it'll make it stronger because, you know, if anything, you know, it's kind of like, you know, sibling rivals. You got, you know, friends rivals right here, best friend rivals. You know, it's just always good. Like, yeah, I'm going to beat my best friend. <laughs> but, true you that. Know, <laughs> you know how it is. But, you know, you know, just getting back to tennis here, well, I tell you what, Rafael Nadal, back to being number one in, you know, in the world, Ro uh, Roger Federer, number three, it's just pretty amazing how those guys rebounded, you know, just from where they were with their injuries. Because, like, like you said, you know, Tony, it's hard to stay at number one. You kind of lose interest. And look what happened with Novak Djokovic. He actually took the year off because he saw what happened with Roger Federer taking, you know, the rest of the year off and get himself healthy and get ready because right away, right in January, the Australian Open opens up. And that's a great tournament. I mean, Novak done, has done really well at the Australian Open, so it would be a good way for him to get right back into it. And Well, he is dealing with a little bit of injury, also a little bit of burnout. That's one of the reasons why he brought Agassi in to help him uh, with the coaching because people were like, why is Agassi there? Because as a hitting coach, as a, a, a technique coach, He's not really the person you want to ask for. It's about handling the stuff out off the court, getting distracted and going down. So Djokovic took the rest of the year after he, I think it was a back injury. He, he has a back strain right now. So yeah, he took the back is no joke either. Oh, no. Agassi dealt with it. I think he had a debil uh, debilitating uh, degenerative uh, condition on his back. He was getting like four or five Arizona shots a, a year. Ooh. to maintain it at the, when he retired at 38. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. You know, because you never really want to mess with the back. You know, as you know, what's going on with with Coach Steve Kerr, what he oh, has yeah, to he, dealt with, and he got back. I mean, back surgery should be the last resort after yeah. what he's gone through. That's for sure. He said that too as well. Um, I I don't wish that upon my worst enemies. What he's going through. But yeah, so. This is amazing too. So now Roger Federer is the is the record holder now. He has nineteen majors. That that is the record, or is he tied? No, he, that is the record. He because, had the record at sixteen. Uh, and Nadal now has sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> he, Nadal. I believe he's tied. No, he's two above uh, Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras was at 14. fourteen. You're right. You're correct. And Novak Djokovic at twelve. Yep. You know, Serena Andre, holds a record for all of them at 22. I know. Isn't that amazing? 22 majors she's won. She's the best. She is the best. And you think about it, you look back on the dominance of the Williams sisters, what they have done in the last two decades, what these big four have done recently, you know, in the last decade and a half. I mean, on one, on one side, it's great to see greatness and see like a handful of you know, uh, the, or the big four going at it because it's fun to watch the heavyweights just keep battling each other out and you know Novak will get one you know Federer gets one Nadal will get one Murray every now and again will get one where the Williams sisters just dominate it and mostly it's been Serena Serena's just been unbelievable the last decade once she surpassed her sister once she beat her sister it just was just non-stop and it's just it's so I don't know it's just really awesome to to witness that you know to be living in this era and to watch this dominance in tennis but you know once they once the williams sisters subside and go off into the sunset they'll probably you know be the greatest ever right there or right there mentioned you know in in the top i know you oh. could kind of argue a little bit of uh, uh what was her name we were just talking about stephanie her graf. yeah stephanie graf yeah stephanie graf was oh i used to say she was the best but uh honestly serena uh just incredible it's going to go down but there's a lot of players in different eras the game changes 
Yes, it does. But uh, Talk, I'm the, talking the open era, I guess. Well, the open era uh, basically is uh, tennis had the same problem golf had back in the day, where they had that uh, whole entire uh, amateur or tournament kind of snobbery that they had. So, two of the majors were uh, amateur only. Eventually, the pros uh, who weren't allowed to play in the amateur tournaments went, hey, come on. You went to the best players playing in a tournament. They finally opened it up, and that's where the open air uh, start. Golf has one the same way. And so the open air started, I think, uh, late 60s, early 70s. Something like that. I think it's 68. Somewhere in there. Well, I like it that they play on a public course. You know, so any, uh, I believe it's the U.S. Open, where you have to play on a public course where everyone else, there's no, pri- like some of these PGA Tour clubs, they'll go to a country club where private members, like only a certain amount of people. For example, the Masters, like that's the most exclusive golf club to be in. But for the U.S. Open, it's on a public course. So like Beth Page Back, you can go play there. Or Torrey Pines, you can go play there. Like in just all you have to do is pay money. You don't have to have any sort of connections there. So that, I, that is the reason why i love the u.s open is because it allows the public to go take the challenge that the professionals are playing and you know, anything besides and also that. in the case of professionals you know on their toes too because it's not going to be the same course each year yeah it's going to change it's going to rotate and it's and it's also it's it's never an easy course it's not like just walk up and you're going to shoot like a 15 high and no it's it's always a difficult uh course to to play it's it's never easy and that's why I love the U.S. Open. It's one of the best tournaments in sports in general because it allows the public to be interactive in it because you can go out and try your best and I, you can shoot 150 and you can be like, well, at least I played Torrey Pines. So. And then you look at the U.S. Open on tennis and where it's played in New York, right? And in the, in the heat, the hot part of the summer where it's very humid. So as you say, the average match for, uh, for the men's is about three, three and a half hours. Could you imagine playing that in, in ninety something degrees with with one hundred percent humidity? I mean, it's oh, it's a lot. It's a lot worse because it's a fishbowl. The heat kind of accumulates right down on court. Whenever I played on tournaments, even the smaller Grand Slam courts where you had uh, the stadium seating around it, it got hot. So the, typically, the players are playing in uh, mid to high nineties. Uh, I know in Australian it hits like one hundred two. Wow. On the court. That's some serious heat right there. Now, is, is Australia kind of humid down there, or is it more dry? Because, I mean, I know January is their summer. <laughs> that's like their that's like their July, as our far, July. As far as I know, it's still it's a dry heat. Like, that makes any much of a no. difference. After what we experienced over Labor Day weekend, as you know, Matt, it was just blistering heat. <sighs> Oh my God! I mean, even don't, Newport don't Beach was ninety-eight, one of the hottest days. And oh, don't remind me. <laughs> I know it's so long ago, but brace yourself. There could be another week of heat oh, somewhere man. in there. You know how it is out here. It reminded me of the days in Arizona. <laughs> I'm just like, oh gosh, I gotta go outside. <laughs> no, but tennis is such an awesome sport. You know, I've really learned a lot by hanging out with you, Anton. You know, you really taught me a lot about tennis, and because this is the premise of our show, all sports matters here. We talk about everything, anywhere from Quidditch to tennis to football, which we'll be getting into. Our guest, Kyle, will be calling in, uh, who played college football. Was it at Arizona? Arizona State. Arizona State. Same college as Montez Perfect. Yeah. Actually played with him. Mm -hmm. And Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler. Yeah, he's just off a new contract. we got to ask him about old Brock, what he he, thinks about that. He he thinks he's getting paid. He is getting and paid. He's getting paid. He's getting paid. <laughs> and it made it made uh, Elway look like a genius. That whole move. I mean, in fact, that was a genius move, bringing him back. Oh, that was just great. I have nothing but great things to say. But... You know, John Elway reminds me of Larry Bird yeah. in a sense, where Larry Bird was a MVP type player. You know, Elway was a Hall of Famer football player, won a couple championships. And then Larry Bird becomes a coach, wins coach of the year. Now, Elway didn't coach. He goes straight in executive. And then Larry Bird wins executive of the year. And John Elway has won the executive of the year. Well, so he's just got that magic touch. Well, I mean, John Elway's a Stanford grad. Larry Bird, very smart, uh, Indiana State grad. So they're both very intelligent individuals when it comes to their sport. But I think didn't Larry Bird step away from uh, uh, the executive position, went down to a consultant? I think so, I don't so, think he's yes. the general manager He's anymore. not the GM anymore, but you're right. He still is a consultant. He's still, 
you know, will oversee you know, the Pacers, similar to what Jerry West is to the Los Angeles Clippers. Just kind of like a consultant, just kind of seek advice. Hey, can you find that diamond in the rough there? Can you find the needle in the haystack? That's what Jerry West was so good at. Just being able to pick that talent and put, not only be able to pick the talent, but put people together that he knows that are going to play well together. It's so hard to replace that. I kind of want to talk about the Rams for a second. We, we got to talk about gotta, the Rams. Talk about Tony, that. I know. <laughs> we had the Rams camp here. For three weeks, Matt and I were representing. We got our Rams hat on, you know. Mm-hmm. Tony's got his tennis hat on, so <laughs> representing our sports. But the Los Angeles Rams, what a way to start wow. off! This is what I've been, what you and I saw mm-hmm. in camp. Some of those plays we saw come to fruition. Oh yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts so far? A forty-six to nine blowout. I think Jared Goff looked good, not turning over the ball. I think what impressed me the most was Todd Gurley. Todd really impressed me so much, and the defense as well. Even without Aaron Donald, who will be coming back in the near future, um, but it's just an all-around effort. Every single side of the ball was just, you know, playing on all cylinders. And obviously, people, these, you know, you're going to have some people that are going to, you know, they're going to poo-poo it a little bit. They're going to be like, oh, well, they're playing the Colts without Andrew Luck. Like the Colts defense no, is really true. good. They did play the Colts without Andrew Luck. I give him that. But they blew them out. They blew they, them out. And exactly what you, you beat the team you're supposed to beat. They, you know, in a sense, I thought the L.A. Rams were supposed to beat the Colts at yeah. home. This is your home opener. They're without their quarterback. You're supposed to beat them. And they did. And they beat them pretty good. And it's not like they're playing a slouch defense. The Colts defense for a long time has was regarded as one of the better defenses in the NFL, including last year. So you look at it as a definite big positive step for the Rams and you look at you know the other teams in the NFC West I mean obviously the Seattle Seahawks had a tough draw playing the Packers and that yeah and they they got they kind of got the the short end of a, a call that's kind of a little beginning. rival right there yeah, too you exactly. think about back with the Golden Tate catch and you know all this other stuff so it seems like it just goes round and round with those two mm-hmm. but but I tell you, golf's numbers look great. 21 out of 29, 306 yards passing, one touchdown pass. They had a couple rushing touchdowns. Like you said, Gurley, I wasn't even worried about Todd Gurley. Yeah, you knew he's going to get his stuff. I was most impressed by him. I 40 think yards is. rushing, 50 yards you know, receiving. You know, Once the O-line starts working together, they'll be able to get they're, – they're going to ground and pound. I, I said it before. I think he goes in the upper echelon of running backs. Oh, absolutely. And, and he wants season. to be. He wants yeah. to be that, uh, that, that dual threat. Oh, yeah, and and I have no doubt about him. He'll be in the status of Le'Veon Bell by the end of the season. You heard it here first. Matt's crystal ball. But I'll tell you this. What really got the things going? Okay, Rams drove down, got the field goal. Great, they're up three to nothing. But it was my man, the cornerback, Tremaine Johnson. All he does is make plays. All he did in camp and practice day in, day out was make plays, go up against the best receiver. What does he do? He, he reads the pass, steps in front of it, intercepts it, and with this awesome athleticism, prevents himself. He catches himself from going out of bounds, stop, and just beelines it 39 yards the other way for the touchdown. And that really just shifted the momentum to the Los Angeles Rams way. Well, you know, I, as exciting as it is, the Rams did start the season off very well last season and then kind of No, they off. got blown out on Monday night by yeah. the 49ers, if you remember. I remember that, but then they, they went on a little winning streak. They went on the three-game winning streak, but this is this is a completely different team. That's true. As we saw. Different coach. Everything's different. The relationship that Coach McVay has with Jared Goff, and we saw it firsthand and with Sean Manning in the backup, and uh, I don't think Orlowski didn't make the team. He's not the third-string quarterback. So. Well, I mean, you only need – you need one quarterback behind you. Well, our guest Kyle's calling in, but I'm going to just turn it over to you, Matt and Anton. Feel free to jump in if you have any NFL thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anton, I have a question for you. Who's the best tennis player you played against? Uh, geez, I think a, it was be between Jacob Petrowski and uh, Michael Weiss. Back in um, high school, Here, let me, uh, we were, uh, I ran into them in CIF, in minutes, man. and yeah, uh, I think they were respectively. Uh, one was ranked six in the boys' eighteens. One was ranked one in the boys' sixteens. And well, yeah, I realized then that my game was nowhere near that level. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got another question: Who's the most athletic person you played against? Well, not in terms of tennis, but any sport. Athletic person. 
that I played against actually in Ainsport. That's really hard. My memory's not that good. Being <laughs> up there in years. <laughs> I don't blame you. My memory's not that good either. Well, we got another good friend has been with us before. Uh, actually, last year, a few times. The Arizona State football standout, Kyle. Welcome to the program. Thanks, thank you for joining us hey, again. It's, it's fresh off of his 25th birthday, by the way. Happy b- belated birthday, Kyle. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me back, back on the show. It's uh, good to be back, and thank you for the birthday wish. <laughs> Absolutely. Kyle, I also want you to introduce you to one of my really good friends, uh, Anton Lee. He's our tennis expert here at Sports Matters. How are you doing? Tennis How expert. You, <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. So what are your thoughts on this uh, first week of NFL season? It's great. Great football being played. You know, you get to see guys come out and actually – have a game that's actually uh, worth watching and actually worth, that actually counts, not preseason anymore. So it's, um, it's just really good to come out and actually see these guys play. But it's a great first week. You get to see a lot of guys play and a lot of good things happen. So uh, you've been coaching Golden West uh, a little bit. The, say what? Uh, yeah, say what? I, the community I remember you telling me yeah. that. Congrats. Thank you, yes. I've been uh, coaching a little bit at uh, Golden West, so I coach uh, running backs and uh really good it's nice to you know get to a little bit higher level as in coaching instead of you know the youth and uh in high school uh the guys are hungry and they want to get to that next level so it's a good way for me to you know kind of coach them up and show them what it takes to you know get to the next level so it's um it's been really well and it's been really fun Absolutely. You really get to appreciate the grind. I was actually uh, I got hooked on this little documentary that was on Netflix about EMCC yeah, it's very similar to where, where, yeah, where you're at, you know, in a sense. You're really seeing these guys that they're there for a year, maybe maybe two years, but they want to get to the big school, which where you played at, Arizona State. Yeah. And a lot of guys, you know, they come from out of state, or some guys, they're uh, bounce backs, too. So they'll go Division One, Division Two, and they don't really get the look, so they come back and play junior college so they can get back. To the division one so a lot of the guys know what it takes or you know they want to get a uh, a better offer and things like that but um it's really good to see the guys are out there and actually come compete and you know they're hungry to get to that next level yeah you know you you, you make a good point you know i mean maybe the first time out you know they may got a recruiter from a college and they're just not getting much playing time i don't know what it is and then you're right they they go back to junior college and they get another opportunity to go back to play for a big school to get playing time to show who they are and what they have exactly and it's it's good and um the biggest thing for them i think it is is uh the grades, you know, the academics, and that's probably one of the toughest things I have seen since I've been out there. A lot of guys just making sure they're eligible, and because when they transfer to different schools, some classes don't transfer over and things like that. So that's one big thing that we try to focus on is a lot of academics too. Oh yeah, the game of football ends, and then you got to have something. So you guys, you better be good at school. Yeah, I mean, it's between the years. You know, you really got to be, you know, intelligent. And it's good to have a high football IQ. But also, too, you know, when you do get to the if, – if you make it to the NFL, is to be a good businessman. Yes. You know, to Definitely. be able to manage your finances and, you know, and prepare yourself for, for life in general. So no, I got a question. Has Brock Osweiler managed his finances well? <laughs> yes, he <laughs> It looks like he's managing something well. You know, you should get it uh, paid, which is um, – Something that we all would like to see in those big contracts and everything. I saw something on ESPN how his last three years, how he went through the three different teams and the type of money he's making. Uh, it's pretty nice. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he has a financial advisor, um, and you know, trying to make sure he gets the right money and right amount of money. <laughs> so, what's your advice to someone that is thinking about going to Golden West um, to play the football team? Go back. What's your advice for him when he gets on campus? Advice, to be honest, you got to make sure it's short lived. Um, the one or two years that you're there, you got to make an impact right when you get there. So you got to be hungry and be ready to go out and give it your all because in junior college, there's only 10 games also. So the, short, the season's really short. So we have eight games left, and it's already, you know, two weeks into the um, September. Be ready. Be ready to learn. You know, you're going to go through some adversity, but you're there for a reason, and don't let the outside distractions, you know, kind of 
bother you because it's a little bit different. It's not as I would say uh, complete and structured like a Division One, Division Two higher school. But you have to know why you're there. You know, you gotta um, be self motivated and go out and make sure that you're ready to do what you have to do. It's like your second chance. Yeah, you know, so to speak. Exactly. And you want to take advantage of it because you just don't know if you're going to get another chance. Yeah. What is well, go-, go ahead. I'm sorry. What, what is uh, Golden West's record right now? We are one in one. Last okay. week we lost to Riverside Community College off of a last minute touchdown reversal. Uh. So we're maybe like on the 25 yard line going into tie up the game 20 to 20. If we would have scored and we would have kicked the extra point, we would have went up 21-20. Long story short, our receiver went on a corner route. Our quarterback didn't make a, such a great throw. Defender jumped up, picked the ball in the end zone, but our receiver jumped up with him, and when he came down, our guy had the ball. Referees called it a touchdown, and everything confirmed it. But we're playing away. The other coaches, you know, started getting into it. And long story short, the, um, the referees overturned it, made it an interception. We ended up losing the game 20 to 14 uh. off of that play. So it was a it was a tough loss, but it shows the guys that you know you got to battle all the way to the end. And at the same time, we have a lot to work on. You can see how we're getting better and what we can work on. And uh, there's a lot of plays where it could change the game, but it shouldn't have came down to that one play. So we're coming out this week to. Uh, Probably practice harder and you know, make sure that we get a W again. I tell you, Matt and I know about you know what it what it takes. You know, you you, you practice well, you're going to play well. And we saw Tremaine Johnson. You know, uh, I think it was like just before the week two preseason, and uh, he was going up against Sammy Watkins, and he was just making play after play after play. And what did he do in the in game? Gets a pick six right off the bat. Yep. And that's how, it is. that's how it is. You have to go out and practice like you're playing. And that's something that I, you know, try to uh, incorporate with my guys. It's like, you know, yeah, we're at practice. We may go against the scout team or we're not really studying up or hitting. But you've got to play. You've got to replicate that's everything that's going on. So when you're in the game, it's ten times easier. You slow the game down and shoot and make plays. And that's what you have to do. So I got a question for you. I need I need your crystal ball prediction. <laughs> what are the final four teams in the college football playoffs? Ooh, let's say I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go right now. I'm gonna say Oklahoma's gonna be in one of those. Oklahoma, for sure. that was a great win yeah, for them, good, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they got their payback for certain from last year. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. You know, as of right now, I'm gonna say Oklahoma. I'm gonna. I'm not sure too sure about SC right now. They still gotta play a lot better. I'll tell you that for sure. But I like that their win that they got this past weekend. It was a good win. Yeah, for definitely yeah. a good win for them, and um, they showed a lot of heart out there. Um, I'm gonna say Clemson. Mm. And let's see. That's two right there. I'm going to go. I'll do an SC just to have a Pac-10 right now, a Pac-12 right now, and I will go. I'm going to go, you know, Michigan. He didn't Michigan. say Alabama. No, Alabama. Wow. I like <laughs> it, though. I like it. I will, I, I'm not going to do it. it. They're going to they're gonna take an L sometime this year, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, Alabama. I can't do it right now. I like it. I like it. Well, you know what? This could be like a you know weekly thing. So, you know, this is your four right now. This is Kyle's college rankings. Yeah, <laughs> definitely Kyle's college rankings. A lot of people have a lot of different um, teams, but as of right now, I'm gonna go with those, and they'll probably switch by Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, we'll just keep rooting for Golden West. We'll we'll have to keep uh, we'll have to keep updates on how. Golden West is doing because I tell you what, I'm just like inspired by what I saw at the documentary in the EMCC just like you get a little glimpse of like what goes on behind the scenes and how hard these guys work and the fact that Matt and I were at the NFL camp mm-hmm. you see how hard these guys are working they're fighting really hard especially at the Chargers Rams you know joint oh, yeah. practice it was getting pretty nutty there and it's just you know a lot of guys are just fighting really hard to get on a team I mean um, did you ever have the uh, were you ever try to get on with an NFL team or was I never really had the opportunity, but I would have loved to. But, you know, things happen, um, life happens, and uh, 
you got to keep moving forward. Hey, you got to start working. You got to get a job. You have to have some type of income. But at the same time, yeah, the, like how you're saying, the guys, just all, even on the NFL level, they're fighting to get a spot. They're fighting for a job. And for me, having friends that do play in the NFL, and I see them jump around, and some of them not in, aren't on a team right now where they were last year or in the preseason. So it's tough, you know. It's tough in every aspect, every level, and you just got to go out there. But it's good because you see a lot of great competition, and you see a lot of guys come out from nowhere and see, you know, and they make a name for themselves, which is always great. Hey, you're in a great spot, too. I mean, you're yeah. start, You're beginning your coaching career as a running back's coach. I mean, the sky's the limit for you. I mean, with all your experience, I mean, you know, attending four years at Arizona State and you know, all the years you, you probably play. I'm sure you played football since you were little. Did you play Pop <laughs> oh, Warner? Yes, I played, you know, American Pop Warner. I've been playing since I was five. I probably was running track since I was, like, seven. So I did it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, you know, the biggest thing is I, I'm, I'm, I think the NCAA kind of, you know, they, they take advantage of some of these athletes. But if you're an athlete, you have to take advantage of what's given to you and getting a degree. And you got you got both a, a bachelor's and a master's. So, wow. you know, you, nice. you did it right. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, um, that's probably one of the biggest things is, you know, you got to take it and look at it in different ways. And um for me, you know, you uh, you break your body down for the team, for the university, and you got to think of and look the long-term situation. So I got an extra year while I was there, and I was able to hop into a master's program, and I was able to finish that, which is granted in sports law and business, which is something that I want to do uh, and partake in. So with my coaching experience that I'm getting now and, you know, trying to work in a sports organization, is always great. But academics, you know, once you're done, the football's not a forever game, and once you're done, you got to go back out there in the real world, and a lot of guys struggle with that. But, you know, you got to take advantage of what's going on. I think it's very important for every football player to have a degree, you know, of some sort, because football, it just – I mean, it could be a short career. Even if you make it the NFL, you might only have a two-year career. You might not even make it, you know, yeah. in the NFL. So I, I completely agree with you. I think you're you're right. You hit it right on the head. Yeah. yeah. Education, definitely first. Of course, you know, if you if you can make a career in football, but, you're, you know, football is going to end, and you're still going to have a lot of life left. Yes. So, definitely a lot of life. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> My favorite question to ask, well, mainly anyone, uh, who is the most athletic person you've played against? Hmm. Athletic. I think I heard you start off with this, and I kind of was thinking about it. One one play, I don't know about most athletic, but I just remember we played Stanford. I think it was my sophomore year at home. And I just remember, this was when Andrew Luck was still playing, and... I remember he was getting sacked, and he was almost on the ground. And he threw the ball maybe about 60 yards for, like, a touchdown, like oh, on a home run post. And I was just like, oh, man, this guy is the truth. He was doing stuff like that the whole game. And it was just, like, unbelievable. And then he goes into the NFL. It was just, like, one of those guys that you knew was going to be a great great player and was a great player. It wasn't a lot of hype because i seen it for myself, and he was one of those great players. And – um or another exciting player you got to watch was, I, I would definitely say, is um, De'Anthony Thomas when he was in uh, college. Uh, every player was just like, it seemed like he was going to make a touchdown. And um, I like I like to watch him a lot when he was over at Oregon. So I would definitely say one of those two guys. Now I got to think about it. You probably got to ask me again next week. I'll probably ask somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> That's always a super tough question to ask. Yeah. That's all right. It is, it is, you know, there's not a wrong answer. Yeah, it's just, you always it's get the what best you remember. Answers. You, you yeah. might even think, like, you yeah. get off there like, oh, man, I should have said Witch McCullough because, you know, we you – know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> No, I tell you, Kyle, you're like an inspiration to these, you know, you know, younger men that are just, you know, coming up in the ranks. You know, kind of, you, you kind of see yourself where you were when you're 18. So it's good to kind of have a role model in a sense where you're not that, you know, not that much older than they are, and you kind of help, you know, these younger players, you know, to kind of, you know, wherever direction they want to go. Obviously, you want to follow your dream. Most importantly, you know, yeah. is playing football. But like you say, you want to get that education. That's very, very, very important. I stress that. <laughs> yeah. And I just got, I like the position I am, especially 
at the junior college level. And a lot of guys, they're, you know, I'm only maybe a few years off or some of them are 20, 21. I just turned 25, so I was just in their position and doing exactly what they're doing. So we can relate. So for me and my experiences, I like to, you know, kind of tell them, like, what it takes, what you have to go through. And, you know, I give a lot of good advice because, you know, we can relate better to with each other, which is good. And I think in my sense, it helps a lot. And, you know, even if we have our other coaches, maybe young, but I was just in their position, just in their situation. And I think it's uh, a great opportunity for me to help these guys, mentor these guys, you know, make sure, you know, they got their heads on straight. So uh, you just got a job working for the Clippers, uh, doing a little game night stuff. Tell me, give me a reason why people should go see the Clippers this year. Give you a reason why the Clippers. Go watch the Clippers this year because I'll be there. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> no, <answer>. you know, <laughs> um, there's always going to be great opportunity. And you got guys here. You still have Blake, Blake Griffin. You know, you have a couple guys still there. But um, at the same time, as Los Angeles. You can never go down. And um, they're going to have a better season than the um, Lakers. Let's say that right now. They'll oh, have they, a better season than the Lakers. We're talking a little basketball here. And I know Anton <laughs> knows some basketball, too. He's a Clippers fan, so to speak. I'm a Clippers fan. I've been uh, for a long time <laughs> through the hard times and through the better times. But this team is different. It, it's it's like, yes, you take away a, a, dyna- a dynamic point guard, Chris Paul. He's out of the equation. Now what you got is a more balanced team, I think. Uh, and they got more length. You know, if Gallinari can be healthy this year and do what Gallinari does, you know, you know, hitting threes and, you know, they got the length. Because that's really what helped the Lakers win their titles back in 9 and 10 was uh, their length and, and the versatility. And I think the Clippers are more versatile, and they have the length. It's just a matter how well these guys gel and play together as a team, how the chemistry goes. And having Jerry West just as a consultant, that's going to help the Clippers out tremendously, believe me. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Kyle? I think so. I think it's all about, you know, gelling well. You know, you have Chris Ball out. And, you know, you have a couple of these other guys that can step up. But to be honest, it's, you know, you're going to see once preseason starts and you kind of get these guys uh, working together and see how it works, keep them more balanced, like how you were saying. I think it will be a good time to actually kind of see what they'll do. I think, you know, the trade for them was – yeah, he get rid of Chris Paul, but he he might have left anyways. He just opted into his contract option. He gets a free agent after the end of this year. So if you look at it, I think the Clippers got a great deal. They got a, a good point guard in Patrice Beverly. They got a couple. I think they got pick um, they, Sam Decker. Sam Decker, who's a short three yeah, point shooter. So I I, I mean I kind of like this deal. Like and then you know Delino Gallinari he broke his hand punching someone in the Italian leagues. Fun fact yeah. of the day. So I don't know if he'll be ready for the season opener, but you still have DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, and those are the yes. two poster people for this you know organization going into the future. So I kind of I kind of like these Clippers. Yeah, I I think it's gonna you know gel well for them, and I do think they're gonna finish with a better record than the Lakers. I think the Lakers, you know, with Lonzo <laughs> well, Ball, they're gonna go through the, some. The struggles. Lakers are young, you know, yes. and they just you got to see what you have, how this plays out, and how that chemistry comes together, but. You got to be excited as a Laker fan. It's like, okay, you bought him out. You know, now it's just the uphill grind. <laughs> you know, and the and the fans have been patient, just like you said, Kyle. You're in Los Angeles. There's just so much going on out here. You know, even with all the tennis tournaments and you know football. So yeah. Recently on ESPN.com, they ranked Lonzo Ball higher than Carmelo Anthony. Just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna let that well, simmer and marinate. Like, oh, we'll just see how that uh, transcends into the regular season. We'll see, you know, what Lonzo <laughs> does. But the one thing Lonzo has, the the gift that he has, is the ability to get the ball to the right people at the right time, and that's a really good skill to have. Is he better than Carmelo Anthony? Well, I can't, you can't say that now. You can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say it. He hasn't even played. He hasn't that's, played a regular that's why season I'm game. It. Yeah. That's why I'm I, asking it. You have a crystal ball prediction. Is he better than Carmelo Anthony? This well, season? time will tell. But as of right now, you know, obviously you got to give it to Carmelo Anthony. And act, in fact, he won a college championship. So True. Syracuse. He took that entire team. That, oh, man, that was an unbelievable team for sure. And, you know, and he plays really well in international competition, too, I mean, yes. especially with the Olympics. I mean, he was like one of the best players. He played on four Olympic teams, three gold medals, one bronze. 
Uh, and he's he's been working out with uh, James Harden and Chris Paul. Hmm, is Houston in his future? <laughs> I'm sure it is. I, th- I think the banana boat goes to Houston. Dwayne oh, Wade no. goes to Cleveland, I'm sure, somewhere. No, no, no. no. <laughs> hey, what we'll you, you think about that heartbreaking loss of the Los Angeles Chargers? I mean, they're going to have a tough time gaining a fan base here because, you know, you still have the Raiders fans here. Mm-hmm. The Rams looked really good. And then the heartbreaking loss last night for the Chargers. Yeah, that heartbreaking loss. I was watching that last night. Oh, man, they came back, which was really good for them and their morale. But man, um, he iced the kicker, took yeah. that one time out, and then he got. Um, they made that penetration right there in the middle and got a hand on it. He kind of went off to the right side of the, um, the defender's arm, and man, it, uh, that was a hard one. It would have took him into OT. Yeah, it was, you know, yeah, especially when you iced a kicker like that because he had that fifty-yarder made, and then they blocked the kick. So, yeah. I mean, a good job for Vance Joseph. I mean, you know, one of those rookie coaches were going to get a, a a W, and it just happened to be uh, Coach Vance Joseph. So, congrats to him. <laughs> I mean, like, you you got to love the fight that the Chargers showed. Yeah. I think the fan base can hang their hat on that. I mean, they, were, they did not look very good in the first half. They didn't look good through the third quarter. And then you look at the late game kind of heroic. So It's kind of scary. You know, you think about it, just literally in one quarter, they just put up all those points and, you're like, wow, this team is. You got to put this team away, like the Rams yeah. did to the Colts. You, you got to put them away because if you give an NFL team a chance, they'll come back on you. They'll beat you. Yeah, yep. That's why they're there. They're professionals for a reason. <laughs> yeah, we are stoked about the Rams. I mean, it was just, it was just such a great game. I know it's just one game, but this week two. Speaking of crystal ball predictions. Coach Sean McVay was the offensive coordinator for the Washington Redskins. And guess what? They get to visit the L.A. Rams this Sunday at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. Who do you like in that game? I'm going to be biased. I'm going Rams. You know, I'm going to go Rams, too. I'm going to have to go with them. I like that win that they got. I'm going to have to go with the Rams also this week. I like it. I'm a big fan of Todd Gurley, so I'm going Rams, of course. (laughs) How about you, Anton? I'm going to join the bandwagon. Go Rams. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make him a Ram fan. But, you know, he is our tennis expert. He is a Clippers fan. And we will have Anton back on, you know. But thank you for making time with us, you know, getting up at a couple extra hours earlier. And even though he has to work a nice eight-hour shift today. And thank you, Kyle, for calling in and getting up a little bit earlier and joining our program. We certainly appreciate uh, you and Anton. For joining Definitely. us today, thank you. yeah, uh, thank, thank you, you so appreciate much. it. And uh, we, and uh, hopefully you'll be on next week. I won't be here, but uh, Matt will be running the show, and uh, you know I'll be looking for, I'll, I'll be listening somewhere. I'll be listening. <laughs> I always like to hear what you have to say, and Matt always asks really good questions. So I try. <laughs> yeah, and we, we, we hope to have you on you know, a few times this year. You know, especially now we'll kind of keep up with. Uh, we'll have our own little, you know, I guess documentary just following Golden State. Excuse Golden me, West. Golden West. Excuse me. <laughs> and we'll have how a documentary. Dare Boy, I'm really putting my Golden. foot in my mouth now. Now I we'll, have a coffee this morning too. We'll, we'll also have a documentary on Golden State. You know. No, I know. Yeah. Matt, Matt's all. He's all joke. Yeah, he he's all yoked up about that. Yeah, Golden State Warriors. <laughs> anything to talk about that? Well, too soon for that. Thank you again, Kyle. We will speak to you soon. Definitely. Thank you. I appreciate it having me on today. My pleasure, or our pleasure. Of course. <laughs>